0: look in the 22nd Psalm. The 22nd Psalm. Really, I'd like to look at the latter portion of this, but there's no way to get there without starting at the beginning. This, of course, the Psalms, they were the hymn book, really, of the Old Testament church. So as we read this, when they gathered for worship and for praise, these these were the songs that they sung. And of course, a lot of the beauty, a lot of the rhyme that they would have heard, we, we lose it in translation. But how glorious that God provided them in their day songs of truth and of wisdom. This one written by David. And I think we'll see to the sacrifice that it pointed to. The 22nd Psalm. So. I'd like to just very quickly go through these first 22 verses if we can and get down to the latter end. But we'll go as the Lord would lead. But I I, I believe I've said this before, but it's worth saying again that Jesus Christ was man and He was God. And those two didn't, didn't intermingle with one another in the sense that if God and man intermingled, you would have a a superhuman, a superman that would be produced. Jesus wasn't a a superman. He was a man. He had to eat. He had to drink. And He had to sleep. And He had to rest. And He felt pain. And He couldn't... You know, he, He was God, but they were separate. And He couldn't with His arms and with his natural strength make man do anything he he was fully a man and you know if if our view of him is as a superhuman then we're missing the suffering because as a superhuman the suffering's just not the same is it but he was he was fully human and fully man and we get a we get a great picture in the Gospels of what he endured in the, in the flesh outwardly. But here in this psalm, God's showing David what he's going through on the inside as well. So let's look at his sufferings here. And I, I believe that's exactly what he's looking at in this first half of this psalm. So, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. So here, and, and I believe that Christ, even on the cross, these were the words that he quoted as he was hanging there, bringing to light this psalm was in reference to and speaking of him. My God, my God why hast thou forsaken me? But you know, He says that now. Not, not as, why have you forsaken me? As, as a sense of, He just don't understand what's going on. Because we know, we know that uh, days and weeks before He went to the cross, He, he began to tell His disciples, now, we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed. And, and the chief priests and the scribes are going to try me and I'm going to be put to death. And he even speaks that there in the upper room discourse there in the Last Supper. And Peter says, be it far from you, Lord. I'll fight for you to protect your life that this wouldn't come upon you. And he says, get behind me, Satan. This is the hour that I've came for. I've come for this purpose and for this cause. So it's not like he comes to the cross and and he's shocked by where he's at. No, he, he knew where he was going. He, he knew the work that had to be accomplished. He knew that as they, and, and you know, the words of Jesus himself, as they offered him the vinegar there on the cross to drink, he bowed his head and said, it's finished. He knew what had to be accomplished. And when the last thing, that vinegar was offered to him, the work was accomplished, it was finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his life. But he says these words that that you and I could get a look into what he's going through as the Son of God, as our sacrifice for sins. Because we know in the fall in the garden that God had to put man out of the garden. And he put that flaming sword there and that was a preventative. Man could no longer come back to the place where that he had fellowship with God. He was separated from God. His sin and his rebellion and his iniquity, God said, my arm's not shortened, my ear's not heavy, but it's your sin that separated between me and between you. It's your iniquity that separated me from your grace. And there man was. He was separated from God. And so the Savior in order to make atonement for sins, he was going to have to be separated as well. And as the wrath of God began to be uh, poured out upon him, even in the garden of Gethsemane, the weight of this began to fall and he was walking there. I, I want you to try to see it. He's a man now. He's a man just like you and I. And he's got a mind and he's got feelings just like you and I have. Not a superhuman, but God and human in one together. And so here he is. He's walking with Peter, James, and John. And the Bible says that his heart and his mind begin to become exceeding sorrowful and heavy. And he said, fellas, you bow down here and watch and pray. And I'm paraphrasing. I, I recognize that. But he says, I, I'm going farther. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. For the Spirit is willing that God-man... The, the man, the Son of God, He was willing to die. He was born into this hour for this time, but the flesh, He said, is weak. So you see, there's there's two separate parts there. I believe you can see it the best in Luke, that as a 13-year-old boy, there he was in the temple, and he's, he's teaching the Pharisees, and they're amazed at his wisdom... And the last verse or two of that chapter there, the Bible says this. I believe you could spend a week thinking on these words. That Jesus grew in favor and in grace with God and with man. So that, that wasn't the God portion of Jesus. He was God, but He was man. And that's that's saying to me that when he was 13, he was closer and more pleasing to God than when he was 12. And as He grew, and you know, I I can't explain the the depths of that, but it reveals to me that in the flesh, He's enduring more and more. You know, as we grow, our responsibilities grow, our temptations grow, the, the weights that we carry and that we bear, they increase. And our temptation for evil increases. And so Jesus is growing And He's resisting and defeating and overcoming. And He's growing in grace and in favor, not just with His fellow man, but with God the Father as well. And so Jesus here in the garden, His soul is exceeding sorrowful and there's beginning to be this separation from the Father. The Father is withdrawing from Him and not because now that the Father is is unjust or unholy. And He's very clear about that right here. Verse number 3, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. So he stops here just for a moment to let us know that what he's saying, he's not being derogatory to God in the least bit. He knows why God has forsaken him. And he's agreed to come to give his life for the church and for the elect of God. He's agreed to be forsaken of God. That redemption might be purchased for those that God knew before the foundation of the world. He is here for this purpose. But he's revealing that he is indeed in man enduring this separation from God. And we're going to see uh, several different types of suffering that he endured. But I believe for him, this was the greatest suffering that he endured. His separation from the Father. And you know, if if you're indeed saved and you've walked any length of time in and through the leadership of the Spirit of God, you know, we can go through some, some calamity and some fearful places in the flesh, but isn't it something how the Spirit can be there with us, and, and strengthen us, and aid us, and though we're in darkness in the flesh, yet we've got hope and confidence in the Spirit of God. Well, there's where Jesus was not a sinner. He didn't forsake God in any way. He walked in the fullness of of the Spirit of God day by day. He had that comfort and that strength upon Him that as man rejected Him and as the Jews wanted to kill Him and as the Pharisees despised Him and He was rejected of man, the Spirit was there to to strengthen and help Him along the way. And here He is, having known that all of His life having enjoyed the presence of the Spirit to strengthen and encourage Him in the times of darkness. Now here the Savior is and God the Father is pulling back from Him and God the Spirit is pulling back. He's separating Himself from Him that the wrath of God could be poured out upon Him and He begins to be exceeding sorrowful. And He cries, God, why hast Thou forsaken me? We know know the answer to that. We can answer the question that Jesus asked on the cross. Why was Jesus forsaken? Why was darkness put upon Him? Why did God the Father and the Spirit withdraw from Him and leave Him alone? So that you and I who were separated could be brought into fellowship with God. You and I who had no fellowship, who had no communion, who were outside of the Spirit of grace, who the God's truth we lived and we had happiness and joy that was only of this world. It was only skin deep if you'll have it. And there we were living day by day thinking that we knew what it was to be happy and to enjoy life And yet we were separated from true life in God Almighty. Deceived and deluded by sin and by carnal mind. But you know the Lord Jesus came and God separated Himself from Him in order that a sacrifice could be made that you and I could know what real joy, what real happiness is in the presence of God by the Spirit. That's why he was forsaken. That's why he was forgotten. The word forsaken, it means to loosen, to relinquish, or to permit. There's a doctrine and a thought today that God was somehow obligated to me and to you to do this. If it was obligation, then it couldn't be compassion. If it was obligation... Then it couldn't be love. You know, that's what makes love so special. Uh, I think between a man and a woman that they're willing to give of themselves and sacrifice their time and sacrifice their strength to get to be with one another. I tell you, God, He's not sacrificing an hour of fishing to be with His wife, but God Almighty is sacrificing His Son, Jesus. He's giving Him and Jesus' is. Pouring Himself out on the cross that we could be redeemed. Jesus said no greater love could be shown. There is no greater love than that a man lay down his life for his friends. I cry in the daytime. He cried on the cross. And in the night seasons, He cried in the garden. My God, if there's any way Let this cup pass from Me. But there was. Do you believe the Father would have let it pass from Him if there had been any other way possible for the elect of God to be redeemed? But this was the only way. He was the only acceptable sacrifice. There was no way for this salvation to be brought except through Him. And so it's not that God didn't hear. I realize that's the way you might read it quickly there. But that word hear means to heed or to pay attention. God heard His Son, Jesus. Jesus said, the Father always hears me. But the Father gave no answer. Have you ever been there? I believe we've heard testimonies to people that that God's allowed to know just a little bit, a little taste of what it feels to pray and not get an answer. But you know what I think when I'm there? It's no wonder that God doesn't answer me as wicked and as sinful and as hateful and as odious as I am. It's no wonder that He don't answer me. But here's the Son of God now and realize He's never got on His face before and God not answered His prayer. And here he's praying, and his prayer's unanswered. And his prayer's un... un, God does not heed to what the Lord asks. The Lord's going to suffer. And that is because that you and I... I love that song. How sweet the name of Jesus. That with Him my prayers acceptance gain, though with sin defiled... His prayer was unheard that through Him, my God, sinful people and people defiled by the devil and by evil and by sin. You know, through His sacrifice, through His suffering, we can come to God and know, have confidence that our prayer is heard through His sacrifice. But thou art holy Now the Lord's good in this. This was the plan of God. In no way was He knocking against the Lord. But Jesus says, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. So Jesus is suffering in the soul, in the spirit, because he's now separated from the Father. He's in darkness. The communion of the Spirit is cut off from him. And his prayer to God is going unanswered and unheard. And not only that, he's enduring in the mind. Now these words here, they don't hurt his body. It's not a stripe on his back. Words and and evil words and hurtful words. They don't hurt your body or your joints, but boy, they haunt the mind, don't they? You hear it and and you think of it and you think of, and a lot of that's the devil bringing up to the mind and desiring to cause. Division and separation contrary to the will of God. But the Lord Jesus now, He's enduring, and He's not just enduring the hatred of, of one or two people, but it's the whole nation there that's rejected Him. And, and listen to what these words mean. There, the, He's a worm and no man. Now that worm, is it's a maggot. And it's in reference to the scarlet grub. In this day, to get... Uh, The colors died. They gathered this scarlet color, the red color, crimson. They gathered that from a worm, a grub worm. And if you look, this word here, that's worm, it's translated most of the time in the Old Testament, not every time, but the majority of the time it's translated as crimson in reference to the color that comes from this worm. And I, I'm not going to make a whole lot out of it, but now this is what that I read in, in studying about this crimson worm, that the mother only gives birth, it only lays eggs once in its life. And when that time comes, that mother attaches itself to a tree, lays the eggs under it, and there they hatch and they feed on her carcass until they come out. And her body has that scarlet color in it. As they eat that mother's body, they get dyed that color of scarlet. And so is that not what the Lord Jesus is? They're going to they're gonna fasten Him to a tree. And there He's going to die. that you and I could be under the blood of the Lord Jesus. That as God looks upon us, He, he no longer sees us, as ourselves, but he's looking at the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're acceptable to Him. So he's not a man, but he's a worm. He's come for a purpose to give his life that the church, the children of God, could be redeemed and have life. He's come for that cause, and he's a reproach of men, a disgrace. That's how man looked at the Lord Jesus. What a disgraceful individual that this is. And despised, disesteemed, or held contemptible of men. So man, as they looked upon Him, they despised Him, they thought absolutely nothing of Him, and they thought the world to be a better place with Him dead and crucified than for Him to be alive and walking, And he was a reproach. He was a shame to men. It was that 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 we don't want to mention in public. We don't want people to know that we've been following him. Ain't that what it was to Peter? That as that young maid said, Wait a minute, Peter. Aren't you one of his followers? Didn't I see you with him? He said, No, I I don't know who this man is. And they asked him again, Peter, weren't you one of these followers? No, I didn't know him. And he denied him three times. You know what it was? It was a shame to be named with this man Jesus as he endured the suffering. That even his closest ally. If you look at all the lists of the disciples, Peter's name is always first. Always. And if, if you see them in the most intimate times, Peter, James, and John are always there. Even when all the other ones are left behind. But even even his closest disciple, an ally, denies him. Ashamed to be his follower as he's being crucified. They laugh me to scorn. That word means to deride, to speak unintelligibly as imitating a foreigner. I'm sure you've all done it or you've saw it done. That here's somebody speaking in another language and somebody to mock. Speaks unintelligibly. And so there is how they mocked the Lord Jesus Christ. They mocked and made fun of His words, the way He spoke, and the things that He said, and they shoot out the lip, and they shake the head to shame. All of these things were types of shame in this day and in this culture. And they said he trusted in the Lord. You can look in the Gospels and see these exact words. He trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord come and snatch him off the cross. And as he cried one time, they said he's he's praying for Elijah. Let's sit down here and see if Elijah comes. And all of his testimony, all of his preaching, it was all a mockery to mankind. So the Lord's bearing the separation from God the Father. He's bearing the hatred and the mocking of man. Now, if you begin to endure this hatred and this mocking and this cruelty, how does that make you want to react? Wouldn't you like to prove it? You'd like to strike back, I believe. No, no. You think that in the Lord's flesh, that the desire to strike back was there. As they said, you said you were the Lord. You've saved others, why don't you save yourself? Don't you reckon in the flesh there was a desire to, I'll show you who I really am. But you know that's what the devil wanted. The devil wanted him off of there. And yet he resisted the flesh. He endured despising the shame of the cross. And so now in verses 9 through 11, he's going to testify about the goodness of God. Even though he's separated and he's enduring this, he knows that God is pleased with him because it's God that brought him to this day. Now I say this, and and I've talked about this with my family before. I I believe you could see this and you could be strengthened by it. That here's the Lord Jesus and He's hanging there on the cross, separated from God, Separated from his followers and hated and despised of all men, and yet he's able to look back and say, God, it was you that brought me into this world. My birth was not of the will of man. But you moved down and and you conceived me in Mary's womb and you brought me forth and you protected me. You remember there in Israel. We all remember about Pharaoh killing. But what about there in Israel? Right there around Bethlehem when Herod said, I want every young man from two and under, I want him to be killed. You know why that was? He wanted to kill Jesus. Satan at work desiring to kill the sacrifice Before it's time. You see that all through the Old Testament. But it was God that warned Joseph and Mary to go down to Egypt because Herod's going to bring this great evil seeking to kill Jesus. It was God's providence. It was God's power. And it was God's will that brought him to this place. Everybody in the kingdom of God could say those very words. God, I I wasn't born into this kingdom by my will, by the will of my parents, or by the will of the church. I got into your kingdom. I became born again because you showed me compassion. I don't think there's, there's no way you can argue with me that if you're saved in the kingdom of God, you're in it because God brought you in it. It was God that the word means to issue forth or to gush out like water. It was God that gushed us out of the womb of sin and iniquity into the kingdom of God by the Spirit of God. Jesus was there separated and hated and suffering, yet He could look back and say, God, You've brought me to this day. And as we would suffer Peter says, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. Recognize that that God's brought us into the kingdom and it's God's providence that's brought us thus far. And so the Lord Jesus now, many bulls have come past me, strong bulls of Bashan, have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. So he separated from God. He's mocked and made fun of and despised of man. And third on the list is what he's enduring in the flesh—that there's his body. It's been beaten and whipped. With of a truth, no, no telling what the man looked like. His visage was marred. Not not. And what he's saying in Isaiah there, fifty-two. He's not saying that his visage was so marred that you would look at him and not recognize him as Jesus. But his visage was marred more than the form of the sons of men. And what he's saying is his visage was so marred, he was so beaten and abused at the hands of these dogs, as he says here in the psalm, the Gentile dogs. It was the Jews that delivered him, but it was the Gentile Roman dogs that caused all of this suffering and anguish in the flesh. And so here he is beaten so greatly that they look upon him and are unable to discern is that even a man that's there? And so the Bible says that he's poured out like water. Everything he's got is emptied. All my bones are out of joint. Now we know this. We know that none of His bones were broken. But as He's hanging on the cross, and as He's been beaten, whether they were literally out of joint, or this is in reference to the pain, and you imagine just being beaten and whipped and cut into, and being uh, tortured as the Lord Jesus was, all over His body was pain. Pain. And his heart was melted. It was liquefied. And he he says it would run down into my bowels. Into his intestines was his heart. And there he is poured out. And his tongue is cleaving to his jaws. And his body is wrenched in suffering and in pain. And for every breath, the Lord Jesus labors to lift himself up to take that breath. Now it looks like it looks like this is great defeat. Wouldn't you say? That as the priests and the Pharisees and as Pilate looks on this and as the executioners look on this and even as the disciples look on this. You know they were what two of them walking on the road to Emmaus one day and Jesus come along beside after his Resurrection, and they said, haven't you heard? We, we thought that this man was the Messiah, but they killed him. Even to the disciples, it looked like defeat. But this was the design and plan of God. Jesus in dying was winning the victory. And so here in, in suffering... What's going on here with all this suffering in the flesh? Well, God has in Isaiah 53. Let's just turn there for just a moment and let's see what's happening. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes are we healed. So his separation from God, that should have been my separation from God. I had no right nor claim whatsoever to have any type of relationship with God Almighty. My right and my claim was to hell. But you know, the Lord Jesus was separated that I could draw near to the Lord. And the despising and hating of man... The shame that he bore. You know whose shame that was? Now, if you had to stand here and tell everybody here what you've done and what you've said and the deeds and actions that you've taken in your life, would that cause any shame? Now you take that and you multiply it by whatever number you think of, and put yourself before God, and the shame and disgrace that you would have to tell God all that you've done against His name. So you know, the Lord Jesus, He was hated and despised, and mocked and made fun of because He was bearing our shame. He was bearing our disgrace. And as they beat Him, and He's suffering in the flesh, His stripes are my stripes. The wrath and judgment of God are poured out on Him so that I could be free, have salvation. By His stripes we are healed. And so, I've took way longer than I wanted to. I may tell, verse 17, I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. Now, I I do believe that it's very possible that he was beaten so badly that there were places that bone was visible. I believe that. But I believe he's saying even more than that here. His body, he he wasn't a fat man. He wasn't a well-fed man. He wasn't a man that, uh, you know, you you think of malnourishment. (laughs) And you think of people that you've seen that that are extremely malnourished. I believe that's what the Lord looked like. His little body, all of His bones, that word, uh, let, let let me get it right. I'll read it and get it right. May tail all my bones. That word means to score with a mark or tally. So you can tally all of His bones. I believe that there wasn't a bone on His body. That you couldn't see. He was so thin. His life now, from the age of 30 onward, his entire life and every moment of his life was dedicated to the work that God had for him. He wasn't out eating for fun. He didn't eat for pleasure. His pleasure was to do the work of God. And you know what it had done? It had wore on his body. As he stayed up late, healing and, and preaching the gospel to people. And he's up early the next morning and he's separated himself and he's praying. His life was truly dedicated to the work of God Almighty. And you could count his bones upon his body. But they did part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. So his garments... In this day, they had undergarments and they had an outer robe. His garments, they parted between the executioners. Each got their portion. But his robe was without seam. There was no seam. It was one solid piece. And they didn't want to part that. So they cast lots for that outer robe. And so this is perfectly field at the cross. But in order for them to do this, the Lamb of God had to be stripped naked. And so as, as if separation from God and the mocking and, and hostility and hatefulness of man, you know you ever walked into a place that you felt like you were hated? You ever been in a place that you felt like you were despised? That's not I, honest to God, I don't want to be there. Do you? And yet, there the Lord was, despised by everybody. Everybody was crying out that he'd be killed. They wanted him dead, more than his feelings hurt, more than more than him to be put down in the sight of others. They wanted his life to be poured out. Not only that, but he's suffering this this great affliction and suffering. All over his body is pain and suffering, and even his tongue is cleaving under his jaws. He's dried up. He's thirsty, and he's been brought down to the very dust of death. He said, "And so here he's stripped naked. Above it all, ain't it? Ain't it something? Now, you talk about being ashamed." Would this not be a shame? They stripped him naked that all the world would look on him and see his nakedness. You know why he was stripped naked? So that you and I could be covered. So that when we stood before God, we wouldn't have to stand without a garment and all of our iniquity. You know why we wear clothes? Because we're ashamed of a lot of this. I'm ashamed and I do not want you to look on. That's natural. God put that in man. That's there from the fall in the garden. But God put that there. You know why we need a robe of righteousness? Because my God, the sin that we've got that we're ashamed of. I don't want that to be uncovered. The God's truth is, I don't want you to know the fullness of the iniquity that I took part in. How much less would I want God to see that? But you know, the Lord, they stripped him naked and there he gave his life that our sins could be covered and that we wouldn't have to be naked before the Lord. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. The unicorns Possibly a a rhinoceros. The most powerful beast that there was there. And there, the Lord Jesus. You know what He was up against? The most powerful beast in all the world. The devil himself. Working through evil and through sin. And he's defeating and crushing the head of the serpent. As God told Eve would come to pass... That you and I could obtain salvation and redemption. But here in verse 22, there's a change in the chapter. The victory's won here. And he says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All the seed of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither has he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. So now this suffering servant, this Lord Jesus says, Now I'm going to proclaim your name unto the people of God, Israel, Jacob, all of these things in the New Testament, not a not a natural Jacob or a, a natural Israel, but the spiritual people of God that's come to life in Jesus. It's with those that the Lord is able to bring the name of God to. A name that before Jesus could only bring fear and dread and judgment and a face that we would flee from. Ain't that true? Outside of Jesus... Man at at one side of God is going to cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon us that we wouldn't have to look at this face of God. That's where we were, outside of Jesus. God was fearful. He was bringing judgment and wrath. But you know in Jesus now and in this sacrifice, the name of God, He's our Father. No longer are we in great fear and trembling under the wrath and judgment of God, but through Jesus we've been brought in to the family of God. And we cry to God, Abba, Father. That's through Jesus. And what should this produce? Praise to God. Ye that fear the Lord, all the seed of Jacob, glorify Him, and fear Him, all ye the seed of Israel this mighty work of salvation. Why should we praise Him and glorify Him and fear? That's not fear and trembling, but that's look upon Him with reverence, that reverential love for a father. For He hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of His servant. God didn't look at Jesus and think He was filthy, and that's why He put Him through all this. You know, we got a picture of that in Job, don't we? that Job suffered and endured great afflictions. And as man looked upon what Job was going through, they come to the natural conclusion, you're going through this, Job, because you've done some great sin. And you failed God in some great way, and that's why you're here. Well, that's what they said about the Lord Jesus as well. He was despised and rejected. He was esteemed smitten and stricken of God. but he wasn't smitten and stricken of God. Not in the sense of judgment and wrath for some great sin. God brought Job there to prove Job's faith that God had gave him. And God brought Jesus here to give Himself for our sins. He was being our substitution. He was there bearing our sins. He was crucified between the thieves. He come down and was associated with the wickedest and the meanest of all criminals. And he was crucified in the meanest and harshest way that a criminal could be crucified. And he endured the greatest hate and suffering in the mind. He endured separation from God the Father. He endured all the pain in the body. And He endured that as a substitute for us. That as we look on Him there, we should see that's what I should have received from the hand of God. But God loved me so much. Ain't that wonderful? Ain't that wonderful that you can look at this chapter and see what the Lord endured and what we can take from that is... God loved us so much and Jesus loved us with such a great love He was willing to go to that extent that we could be saved and in His family. That God the Father from before the foundation of the world said, I love this people. I love my elect so much. I'm going to give my Son. And the Lord Jesus, they're three in person, one in essence. They've got the same will. The Lord Jesus looked and he loved and God didn't force him to the cross. God didn't carry him there and nail him there against his will. The Lord Jesus said, "No man can take it my life from me. I'm going to lay it down and I'm going to take it back up again." You know what conclusion you can reach? I tell you if you're in the kingdom of God, God loved you with a love far greater than any love you could understand with your natural mind. You know what that ought to make me do? Praise Him for His works. Praise Him for His salvation. When He cried unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear Him. So pay my vows to be safe, to be or make completed, to reciprocate. And vows is a promise specifically to God. How many promises have you made to God in your life? How many? Several. You get in a dark place... We start to promise, and really, it's we're trying to bargain with God. It's what we're doing. How many of them you kept? Has anybody here made one vow to God that they've kept? If you have, you're free to raise your hand. I've broke them all. And it ain't took me long to do it. That's the God's truth. I tell you, man, we're unable of ourselves to do anything pleasing to God. Of ourselves. And I'll tell you what God will do. When I start to think, I've done it many times, when I start to think I can do this, when I start to think I've got this... God will pull back just a little bit, let me flop on my face, and I'll say, God, I'm sorry, would you get me back up again? And so God teaches us that we are completely reliant upon Him. But you know the Lord Jesus, He vowed now before the foundation of the world that He was going to give Himself for the sins of mankind. And He kept His vow. And He paid it in full. He told Mary, He said, Don't touch me. I've not ascended to the Father. You know where he was going? He was going to complete that offering, to pay that vow. He had completed the work of God, something we've never, ever, ever. And if you think you have, you better think again. You've never came close to completing the work of God for you, you never have we've never been close to the first commandment. Forget about the rest of them. You've never even one day in your life been close to keeping that first commandment of the law. But the Lord Jesus paid his vows. He done his part. He made that payment and when God looks upon our account, my vows have been paid. Not by me. Lord, I've not paid any, but the Lord Jesus has paid His vows and brought me in through that. That my account at the bottom is paid. My sins have been struck off. And the blood of the Lamb, He's completed His vows and He's done it in the midst of the great congregation. This thought about... We don't need a church and the church ain't important. That is so unbiblical. Where is he doing all this work? Where is he declaring his name in the congregation? The assemblage. That's what that word means. Now, what would be the assemblage? I tell you, it's what John saw in Revelation that number that no man could number, and they're there. What are they doing? They're singing praise to the Lamb of God because it's the Lamb that brought them there. He gave His life for them that they could be there. So He's speaking the name of God to the great congregation and here He's paying His vows in the midst of the congregation. In the midst of the church of the living God. And you know where he's at in Revelation chapter 1? There is the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's right there in the midst of the seven candlesticks. The seven churches. The great congregation. This work of God was, was to provide not individuals left on their own for salvation, but God has died to make a community and a family of believers, to make them at one in Jesus Christ by the Spirit and by the blood of the Lamb of God, I can do without it. I say "There's, there's no way you can do without it. Even as the Lord taught His disciples to pray, He didn't say, when you pray, say, My Father, which art in heaven... Give me my daily bread. What's the Father the Lord's prayer? What does it say? Our. Who's our? You could say me and the Lord Jesus. I believe that. but couldn't I say me and, and Anthony? And me and me and my wife? couldn't we say? As we pray, our Father, see, God's bringing us into a community. This is the work of God to produce a church, and the praise of God rings out from the midst of the great congregation. You know why it has to be from here? Nobody else knows what He was doing, nobody else has any idea the victory that the Lord won. There's only one people on the face of the earth that knows what the Lord endured and that knows why endured it and that enjoys the, the peace that resulted from it and it's the people that are saved and in the congregation. And so it's the church that's praising and declaring the name of the Savior. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. The meek, the depressed those that are, that are pushed down. That's really what it means. They're going to eat and be satisfied. That word means to satiate. As I thought about that word, this is what came to my mind. If you've ever washed a car and used a chamois to dry that thing. And that, that thing can hold a lot of water. That's what it's made for. But you know, there comes a time that that thing is satiated. It's full of water and it can't hold one more drop. It's so full that nothing else can go in it. You know, that's the kind of feeling that the Lord Jesus gives. He told the woman at the well, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. And he said to, the, to them on the, uh, the feast of bees, he, booths, he said, I'm the bread of life and if you eat of me, you'll never hunger again. You know what He done for me? He saved me one day by His grace and by His Spirit and He satiated my soul and I've never lacked in salvation since then. I've never had to come and get topped off. I've never had to come and get refilled. I've never had to come and get me another load of it but when He forgave me He filled me and I've never needed saved Again. And those that God brings to His Son, He fills them to satiation. And I'm not saying we don't need Him anymore. On the contrary, as we grow, we need Him more and we need Him more. But I tell you, as far as ever being lost again and under the weight of my sin and needing to be saved, I've never found myself there again. fill my car up go on to work in the morning and come home and the hand's already moved it needs to be filled again it's no longer satiated but as I go it goes farther and farther down salvation's not like that my salvation has never went down it's not I've never been one I owed a less saved than I was the day that I got it. Ain't that something? I tell you, the Lord Jesus, He's able to satiate and fill us till we can hold no more. <laughs> Nothing else is needed. They shall praise the Lord that seek Him. My God, what praise for a God that plucked us as brands from the burning Feels the church of the living God. I believe this when the Spirit, when He stirs us just a little bit, it brings praise and glory. Your heart shall live forever. A never-ending, and notice, He doesn't say your flesh. It's your inward man. Your soul shall live forever. He's gave us a hope that can never expire nor run out. For the kingdom, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He is the governor among the nations. Does that mean that every nation and every person is going to be saved? There's people that think that. But that's not what he's saying. But I tell you what is going to happen. Every nation, every kindred, and every person is going to bow before the Lord Jesus. He's going to be recognized as the authority and the ruler and the governor. That means the, the supreme authority, the supreme ruler overall. He's going to be recognized as the Savior and ruler of all the world by every man. It's either going to be here that we recognize that or in the world to come. But we know for a fact that all shall bow before Him. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before Him and none can keep his own soul alive. So this day... This day is coming, isn't it? This day that we go down into the grave. This day of death, it lies, it's inevitable. It lies in the future for every one of us. And you know, the Lord came to deliver us even from, from this day of death. This day of death will either be a glorious promotion into the glories of the Father prepared through the Son, Jesus or it will be an entrance in to eternal destruction, death, and damnation separated from God. And what the Lord Jesus suffered for, we're going to suffer for ourselves forever. We're going to be put on the torture rack. If His sacrifice wasn't good enough for us, and we despise and disesteem Him, God will cast us and let us be our own sacrifice forever and ever. But, verse 30, a seed shall serve Him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare His righteousness unto a people that shall be born that He hath done this. So there is, there's a guarantee. I believe we, we all believe this. As long as there's time and earth remains, there will be a seed on the earth that's honoring and worshiping the Lord. As long as the earth is here, God will have a seed reserved to Himself that's still glorifying and honoring Him. And how shall this seed be It shall be accounted. That's the same word as tail earlier in this chapter. When he's tallying his bones and counting them. Well here, this seed that's serving and slayed to God Almighty, it's going to be tallied to the Lord. It's the Lord that's done this. It's the Lord that's delivered them. The Lord is the reason that there's a seed left. It's not because of me that there's a seed left. It's not because of some great preacher that there's a seed left. I tell you, in Israel, they had Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and some of the greatest men of the Old Testament there preaching the Word of God, and yet the nation fell into the judgment of God. It ain't men. And it ain't man, but that seed that remains, it's tallied up to the Lord. Why are we here? The Lord brought us here. Why are we saved? Well, God gave His Son, first of all. We had no hands in that work. But you know, God convicted us. We had no part in that work. God brought us to Jesus. We had no part in that work. God made new creatures out of us. We didn't do anything in that either. And so we're here and we tally that up to the Lord. And you know what the church is doing now? This seed that's left, they shall declare His righteousness unto a people that shall be born. That He hath done this. The church today, what's our message? Our message is not a soup kitchen or a food line. It's not a food pantry or a used clothing store. The church is here for one reason. To declare the righteousness of God and the redemption that God has wrought through His Son Jesus. And I can see reasoning, well, we'll do this and that and the other and we'll get man to come. We'll get man to come and hear the gospel. But friends, if God doesn't draw, none of that's worth five cents. It's not worth five cents. And so the church is here. They're coming. They're servants to the Lord now. They've been bought. And they are serving Him and declaring. That word means to manifest, to announce, to expose, or to explain. They're announcing the righteousness of God. They're explaining what the Lord Jesus has done to provide salvation. They're telling man and a people that shall be born. I tell you, future generations, we may look right now and think, well these children, these little ones, these little ones sitting here, and these little ones over here, and these little ones back here, well well, it's not that important. Sunday school, I mean, it's really not all that important. It's for fun and, and you know, all of these things. But I tell you what we're doing, we're training them up that they might know the righteousness of God and that they might know what God has done through Jesus for their salvation. The church declares that. If we've got a goal to get a message across, I tell you, we can tell people how they ought to live, we, we ought to do this to improve our life. I'm afraid that's what church, the focus of it is so often. Do this and have a better life. You can be happier if you do this. You ought to, i tell you what ought to be preached is the holiness and righteousness of God and the dependence on Jesus for salvation. That's what the church proclaims. To a people that shall be born that He hath done this. Who's done it? I tell you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They accomplished, they are accomplishing, and they will accomplish this work. That's all It's on our heart. Anything.